Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Right Moves Podcast, where we talk about how to develop happy, healthy, resilient children into happy, healthy, resilient adults. I'm your host, Dr. Debbie Ray. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Right Moves Podcast. Today, we will have a guest moderator, Sarah Mercado, from the Karen Purvis Institute of Child Development at TCU. The focus of today is about the intensification of negative behaviors in schools post-COVID and how three school settings have worked through this using play as the impetus. I know it's something as educators, parents, and community support we've had quite a bit of discussion about over the past few months. Today, hopefully you will get some questions answered. So we have two awesome guests on this episode who will bring a great deal of expertise to this topic. Amanda McMickle is the Vice President of Education at the Cibolo Center for Conservation in Bernie, Texas. She's been a huge influence on early childhood education. I know her best through the International Play Association USA organization. She's been a good friend of mine for a while and I, I just love that she's on here today. Jill Wood founded and manages Adventure Play an outdoor child-directed after-school program at the Parish School in Houston, Texas, where she also serves as school librarian. I found out about her through the uh, conference that the uh, International Play Association USA group put together. She was a keynote there, and I was just mesmerized by some of the stuff she talked about with the Parish School. So with both of them being here, this is just gonna be an awesome conversation. Uh, They will each introduce themselves further, so I'm not going to steal their thunder. So, Sarah, if you're ready, I'll let you take it from here. Okay. Thank you, Debbie, and thank you for having me. As Debbie said, I'm Sarah Mercado from the Karen Purvis Institute, and I'm really looking forward to just helping guide this conversation with um, these amazing experts. So let's just quickly have... um, each of you introduce yourselves. I think everybody knows you, Debbie. So, um, Amanda, would you share a little bit um, about yourself and what you do and where you are? Sure. So, I'm Amanda McMichael, and I've been in education for over 20 years now um, in San Antonio, Texas. And for about half that time, for about 10 years, I've been in the nature-based learning world and have led a couple of nature-based preschools and also done some work in taking nature and play into um, inner city public schools. And right now I'm the vice president of education at the Cibolo Nature or Cibolo Center for Conservation in Bernie, Texas. Wow, you 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 wear a couple of hats, huh? Yes. Uh, yeah, this is kind of my passion. So I always think, oh, my life is so busy with all these things, but they're all directed to, you know, our kids and, and this focus on, I, I tell people like, depending on my audience, like no matter the question, nature's the answer. No matter the question, plays the answer. And so uh, just my life's work is, you know, getting kids outside, enjoying nature and each other um, and themselves personally. I feel like that should be a meme. No matter the question, nature's the answer. And no matter question, the question, play is the answer. I feel like you're you're really onto something there. That's awesome. Welcome, Jill. Would you tell us a little bit about yourself and the work that you do? Sure. My name is Jill Wood, and I am the director of Adventure Play at the Parish School, which is a school for children with language-based learning differences in Houston, Texas. 
We are on campus at the school, but we're on three acres behind the school and are also open to the community. We are an outdoor after school program and we are modeled after adventure playgrounds in the UK. We use a professional model called Playwork to support children's play. Um, I'm also the um, founder of Bayou City Play which is a group, a collective of therapists and teachers and librarians who go into the community and do pop-up events. Um, we'll also uh, you know, do education, parent education, professional development around play and child-directed play specifically. And then I'm also a librarian. So I'm a children's librarian at the school and um, I've been doing both the Adventure Playground and librarianship at Parish for 18 years. So I've been there. Oh, mercy. Goodness, <laughs> you wear a lot of hats too. <laughs> oh, wow. I, uh, that, the Adventure Play, I think I want to come see that in action. That sounds like fun. Do they do any kind of, what kind of Adventure Play do they do? <laughs> First, come on down. We okay. Are, okay. <laughs> we are a place that loves visitors because it can be hard to explain what we do sometimes, sure. and it works really well to see it. Um, we are uh, three acres outdoors filled with loose parts, or what's termed Ooh. loose parts. So big, little, they're all materials that um, have no predefined purpose. Tires, culverts, um, fabric. And hammers, nails, the children build structures and forts. Um, and they have two and a half hours after school to do that. And it works really beautifully. Gosh, Debbie, that sounds like uh, things we've talked about in the link, too. That's just, I, I see why you guys are all friends. Well, <laughs> um, Debbie, do you have anything you want to share as we get started? No, I, I just, as you said, Sarah, the three of us have a lot of connections with the types of work that we do in schools. And I thought that was a perfect way of bringing us together to talk about the struggles we've had since coming back and how we're all approaching it. So yeah, you see why I wanted these two on here. Yeah, brilliant. Brilliant for <laughs> sure. So we know, we know in our work, uh, you guys know in your work that post-COVID, we're seeing some behavioral issues that are um, not not new overall, but maybe amplified. Um, and I, I'd say they're even worse among the, or, you know, more challenging among the younger kids who maybe haven't been to school before and then they launched into second grade or first grade or, you know, and they're learning this environment and, and things. But really across the board, definitely so much stress occurred uh, with COVID and lack of socialization across the board, and that separation for all of our kids. Um, and it sounds like one of those, the, the ways we're seeing that play out is excessive aggression on the playgrounds. And I know for each of you, you all believe deeply in the power of play and deeply in um, the impact of play on learning and all of these things. So I'm just curious, um, how have each of you addressed um, how to deal with this aggression that's happening during play. And Debbie, can we start with you? Yeah, so with the Link Project, we've been in 
several schools, many schools across three different states. And we've had the four unstructured play breaks a day, 60 minutes of play equivalency, 15 minutes each recess, which means a lot of transition throughout the day. Um, as well as once you get out there, you know, play is unstructured. So it's whatever the children want to make it within a safe environment. We want to make sure that environment's safe, which I think all of us would say today. The problem coming back from COVID is that teachers were starting to say, well, we're seeing more aggress aggression on the playground. And we just can't have this because kids are getting hurt. And my comment was, are you still using your positive action curriculum? Are you still using some of the techniques that we talked about with TBRI? And their comment back was, well, yeah, we are, but you know, we just, we don't want to see them roughhousing like they are. They didn't want to push that boundary. And so I said, well, we've, we've got to allow that to, to push a little bit, but one particular school district says, no, we're not going to do it. The other says, yep, we're going to go ahead and move forward with what you're telling us. Mm -hmm. It's interesting how those two school district mindsets, one set them back when they didn't allow kids to go ahead and move with some ag more aggressive type activity at first. And granted, some kids do get hurt, but not to the extent that teachers were fearful that they would, right? It might be a a sprained ankle or a, a finger that might be dislocated or something like that. And yes, those injuries don't, don't get me wrong. We don't want to see any injuries, but at the same time, they're going to happen whether we are right there with them or they're on their own somewhere else. And so I, I I'll start the conversation with that is that, um, and I'll, I'll lead to Jill because when I heard Jill at another conference, I heard her talk about this. And it was like, wow, I'm going through the same decision-making with the schools that I'm in and what she's doing within a, um, a place where she can, you know, she's got her own controlled environment. I'm working with schools that I have no control over. Does that make sense? Sure. And she's within that controlled environment. Amanda had her controlled environment. And so the two of them are going to be able to talk from more pilot work, <laughs> Whereas I'm talking from, hey, I know this is what we need to do, but you either decide you want to do it this way and see what happens, or I can't tell you you have to do it. I'm not your superintendent. I'm not your principal, right? Right. So that's where I am on it, but I'd love to turn it over now to, to them to talk about and show the impact of what I had talked about and where it's gone. Okay. Awesome. Jill, would you share what, what your ideas and thoughts are? Well, after the pan, you know, once we shut down for the pandemic and we reopened pretty quickly thereafter, um, because we're an outdoor program. So we felt we had some leeway and, um, when the kids got out there, oh, the story that I, that Debbie's referring to that I told at the conference was about this increase in, in anger. It just that is the clearest way to put it is that we saw a lot of anger on our site and we also staff our recess at school. So the same thing was happening out there and we just saw this continued anger and frustration among the children. And at first, you know, the instinct can be to double down on what you know 
And so we wanted to like put in more structure, you know, well, we didn't want to, but that was sort of our instinct. And when we stepped back and we relied on our playwork, which is our training, we, we believe that children know what they need. And so we had to ask ourselves, like, were we uncomfortable with what we were seeing or was it bad for them? Right. And, and we came back to, it was just uncomfortable for us. And so instead of kind of framing it as aggression, what we started to, to do was normalize that and say, you know, the world changed overnight. It is perfectly acceptable to be angry and frustrated about that. How can we provide ways for children to experience these things and express these things in a way that doesn't hurt them or someone else? And so my favorite story was that when we opened the playground, we had created a second sand pit because the sand pit was where a lot of our children would congregate close together. And we were thinking social distancing, we should, you know, provide another option. And over the sand pit, we hung a, a shade cloth. And when we opened it up within a couple of days, we saw kids climbing on top of the shade cloth. And, you know, the instinct is that's not what we made it for. It was, <laughs> it was to keep you nice and cool while you played in the sand. Mm-hmm. And we watched and stood back and did our playwork and realized it was extremely therapeutic that children could roll around and tackle each other and do somersaults and, and climb to the top and do cartwheels down. And all of this could happen in a safe way. And that they came out the other side of it looking really great and feeling really great. And so in a way, they gave us the answer because we were watching and listening that they needed this kind of deep play, this rough and tumble, big body play. And that is pretty much how we spent the next few months was trying to design our playground and provide opportunities for more of that rough and tumble, deep body play and um, big body play. And it, yeah, it worked. (laughs) It was hard because it's hard to see children doing that sort of play when you've been away from it for a while. And when you yourself are an adult and don't do it anymore. But if you let them, you can start seeing that they keep each other safe. They learn to communicate with their bodies. They learn self-regulation skills non-verbally. I mean, it is magic. It's it's good stuff. And it's so uncomfortable for so many adults that children don't have the skills they need to do that kind of play safely. Man, so, I really, really love that. I, I love, and I might misquote you a little bit, but I think I got it. I tried to write it down. You said we were trying to figure out if we were uncomfortable with what we were seeing or if it was actually a problem right like because there's a difference in that and for adults and I think especially like you know Debbie you said it too like safety is our priority safety will always be our priority that that is a line that will never shift for anybody I don't believe working with kids that will always 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 be our priority but it seems like the line has moved so far that we don't allow the, these these activities that meet, I mean, you know, I love the idea of those kids rolling around up on that shade cloth. And I think about, you said, you know, we had so much aggression and so much anger and, you know, 
what we're probably seeing is unmet sensory needs, right? And then they get up there and they're moving around and they're tumbling around and the aggression and the anger goes away because these needs are being met. Um, because the adults are willing to step back for just a second and say, wait, wait a second. Nope. We're not really very comfortable with this, but it turns out like, you know, you, you might get a, a, a bruise, or, you know, something because you are wrestling, but you're getting so many needs met. And, um, and, and we're, we're trying to figure out where the line is within that. I just absolutely love that. Um, Amanda, would you kind of share what y'all's process was and how that played out for you guys? Yeah, so last year I was um, given the opportunity to work with um, an inner city public school. And it was a new school. And so we had kids... Um, who primarily lived in one particular underserved community, but they kind of came from everywhere. And so a lot of different cultures and, and, and stuff coming together from family cultures, but also different school cultures that they were entering in. And uh, many of the students hadn't been in school for two years, right? They had decided to stay home and, and learn from home. And every day uh, recess was uh, a time when I knew I had to be on call as an admin because mm -hmm. I was constantly getting called to to deal with conflicts, and one uh, one time in particular, I I remember being called because there was some uh, boys kind of roughhousing, arguing, lots of conflict on the blacktop, and so I went out there and they were playing basketball and they were yelling at each other, pushing each other, and you know, as an admin, the teachers kind of just expect me to come in and grab the kids and take them and leave, and so they could just you know continue to to watch the the whole group. Right. But I decided to to try a different angle. So I went in and I said, you know, give me the ball, let me hold the ball, uh, the power of it <laughs> right. for a minute, right? And I said, okay, first of all, where are the teams? And they looked at me like I was crazy. And I said, okay, just a reminder, like when you're playing basketball, typically you have teams, right? right. Yeah. And these boys didn't like they they watch TV, they watch basketball on TV, I was sure, but they didn't really understand the game. So they were all on their own team trying to convince the other ones to pass them the ball. And they're like, no, like, so it was, of course it was conflict. Mm -hmm. And then when I was thinking about, you know, their development, you know, I reminded myself, these were fourth grade boys. The last time they were in a normal school setting, they were in first grade, right? So they had no structured PE time to teach them how to play games. They didn't have that, you know, um, time to like, so, you know, socially figure out cues of like, hey, maybe we could work together on this. Like all of those things, like they hadn't mastered the, that social development from first grade, second grade, third grade, right? And they're in fourth grade. And they didn't know how to play the games that they have, they see other kids play and they want to play. They hadn't had the time to even learn how to play the game, right? Mm. So the teacher that was observing the whole group was just seeing the conflict. And so that really made me think, okay, like, first of all, let me talk to the PE coaches and be like, let's, let's take a step back and let's just talk about like fundamentally like playing games that kids are very interested in. Let's talk about that. And then I went into the class and I just talked to the kids about play. And it was so eye-opening because they said things to me like, adults assume we just want to be on our phones and our tablets. 
I don't have anywhere to go outside to play. Like I live in a mobile home park. There's no, like, I, I don't have a place to play, you know? And, and, and one of them even said, like, it's not fair that like, I'm not going to make the baseball team because I can't play. Like we don't, my family can't send me to little league. Like I, it's not fair. And so I was like, okay, let's, we're going to be talking about play equity. And this is a group of nine year olds that were very interested in talking about play equity. They just didn't know that term. So the big thing that my takeaway from that whole experience is we can't just make assumptions about either their, their, you know, their play or their thoughts about play. Um, We really need to, to, to lean into it a little bit more um, and, 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 try to seek to understand their perspective, whether it's physical perspective, right? Of like, what do I know how to do with my body? Where am I on that? But also just their thoughts about play. And like, like I'm sure these boys like see the spurs and they're like, I want to be like that guy and you know, yeah. all of that. But like, let's, let's really lean in to understand. Yeah. They, they might also see the Mavs. I don't know. I'm just, just saying it could be the Spurs. It could be the Mavs. We don't know. Um, I'm just kidding. Um, you know, I think you said two things that are really powerful. One is that as the, um, I think as the administrator walking out to the playground, right. Some people have their leadership structure set up to when that person walks on the playground, it could be as stress inducing for the teachers as a teacher walking into a noisy classroom, right? Like, like depending on how that is relationally. And so I love that you took the idea of like, you know, you're doing your job. Like you, you kind of have to look at this big picture because again, this is potentially where our injuries happen is on the playground, right? Like that's where every time my kids had to go get an x-ray, it was from the playground, which for me as a parent, that's expected. That's not expected for every parent. But to go in as the administrator and say, let's unpack this. Let's look deeper into what's going on. And oh my gosh, the opportunities that came forth from that. And then the really, at least visually and in action then for the teachers to see, we can go a step further. We don't have to shut everything down. We don't have to up our structure because something looks chaotic we may need to help them play structure in with teams but we don't have to just shut this down and say you know what if you guys can't play basketball right you can't play basketball at all well to your point they didn't even know how to play basketball right you know so like just the I love the the modeling of the importance of play and the importance of figuring out like you know what do the kids need in this environment and how do we help meet those needs even beyond the playground. So we go into the classroom and we, we go here and we talk about this and how can we create, you know, these opportunities for kids. And it all evolves from play, right? Every last bit of that evolves from play. Yeah. One thing that I also learned in it is um, there was an issue on the playground that was continual, right? And so I went into this, the class to talk to them about the issues on the playground. So what I learned from that is they were in a different emotional state when I wasn't trying to talk to them about their behavior on the playground when they were on the playground upset, right? Right. Like they're in the classroom, they're in a different emotional frame. Mm -hmm. And so it just was so interesting. It wasn't, they didn't have that defensive, like, well, miss, he picked on me. And it was just like, it was, it was it, having that kind of a side conversation where they're not in their high emotional state 
was so beneficial. And oftentimes we feel like we don't have time for that. But the what you know happened after that and, and in recess, we saw such an improvement because they they felt like they had some ownership of what was happening and they had a voice in it. And so that was so powerful. And it just was a short 15 minute conversation I had with the class. So it wasn't something that took a lot of that class time away, but it was so beneficial for the kids. Yeah. And if we take time to allow regulation to happen, then they can actually learn and participate, learn from and participate in the conversation. Jill, do you have something to add to that? Well, Amanda said a really magic word to me. She said ownership. And I think that um, one of the things that, that we had to do over and over again was remind ourselves that play is in play work. We define play more as freedom than fun. So I think it's really, you know, when the expectation is that children are supposed to always be happy and joyful, um, that sort of makes us want to create structure where that will happen. But during a pandemic, it's absolutely normal to feel angry and frustrated and unsafe. And so I think when we take away children's opportunity to actually feel the things that are very normal to feel, we're telling them it's not that we don't trust them. We're telling them that their feelings aren't acceptable. And and then they lose ownership over that incredibly therapeutic time. Mm -hmm. Because when a child is in charge of their own play, you know, in within reason because they're playing with other people (laughs) and you know in a peer context i think that's when we see the greatest benefits Mm -hmm. that's when they push themselves to try something new and they don't feel like everything they do has a permanent consequence and they can just try something out or move past a feeling or move through a feeling and know what that feels like if we take that opportunity away from them i think you know we're telling them that that they aren't worthy and that we don't trust them. Right. And like, I, always, I often think, you know, sometimes we expect kids to do what adults can't do. I haven't figured out how to not have a bad day, right? I still have bad days, even though I'm 49, right? Like that, that's so weird that happens, right? But we sometimes expect our kids to just march to the beat that we're, we're doing and, you know, like, have a good day because I've put all this effort into this day. Well, you know what? I'm just having a real bad day today. (laughs) And I get to feel those feelings too, right? I'm sad. I'm angry. I'm frustrated. I'm all the things. I I love that feeling the feelings is, um, you know, so welcome. And I just think like you guys are creating um, some emotionally healthy people that will grow into emotionally healthy adults. And that is incredibly exciting. Um, I think for all of us, Debbie, did you have something to add? Yeah, I was going to say that, um, you know, Link has been around for eight years. And in some of our districts, we've been doing these four unstructured play breaks pre-COVID four times a day throughout their grade levels. So they already knew a routine pre-COVID. And post-COVID, when other schools were not in a, not doing link, you know, or not doing what Amanda and Jill are doing, um, post COVID, they didn't have a routine that was meaningful to them. Mm-hmm. So when link kids came back to school, you know, they had already been doing this. Even if they missed two years, they knew what it felt like to be in that uh, atmosphere 
and knew what it felt like. Um, I would almost say that it felt like protection to them so that when they came into that environment, it was like, okay, I'm in a space where I'm okay Mm -hmm. and I am happy and I am resilient and I can do the things that I used to do. And, and because of that, it was reaffirming to them to be in that atmosphere again where they could create and work with each other. The problem was, is that the teachers didn't know these kids pre-COVID because they had advanced two grade levels or a grade level or whatever. And so knowing these kids two years later, they were bigger bodied and they were fearful of the types of play that they would engage in instead of allowing them just to be who they were before they left for COVID. And I think sometimes we have to also trust that longitudinally, there are certain things in our DNA once we've had them that don't go away. It's just like learned responses, right? Once they're there, it's easy to to come back to them. And so that's what I would add to this conversation is that what we found is that if the teachers would allow them to go ahead and get back into play, which was a huge routine for them, it not only made a safe place for them, but it was a, an affirming place for them. And as a result, they came back faster to settle in and let go of some of that anger that had happened over the years, that this semester or years that they were out of school. And then as a result of that, we did a huge um, assessment on hair cortisol with stress and found that their stress levels post-COVID, as a result of doing all this recess, was less than pre-COVID average times. Wow. That's huge. And so those are the kind of things that I think that Jill and Amanda are talking about. And then longitudinally, what it does for kids just having that year after year is so, so important. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, I mean, felt safety is developed in play, right? Like the, all the things that we need for our kids to do just like to, to reduce their cortisol happens in play, which, you know, we know and we, we hope other people will know then means that our kids can learn, right? And so all that drive in the classroom, I mean, I can't imagine the pressure to make up a year or two years of material. I know, I mean, in my family alone, I I have college age kids now, but I had a high schooler during COVID and it's like the learning was like down the drain. I mean, we struggled, we struggled so badly. And so, you know, I mean, I knew she was going back with like a huge gap. Um, And I can't imagine the pressure the teachers feel and, and then the idea of how do we get them to do something like play that doesn't feel like it pours into the educational piece when, when the reality is, is you get far greater educational gains if you just add the play in. Um, so, um, wow, I have so many notes um, from our first episode. I know we're going to come back together. So Amanda, Jill, thank you for uh, joining Debbie on this podcast. And to all of you, thanks for letting me be a part of the conversation. We look forward to the next one. Thanks, Sarah, for a great episode. 
And as always, take care, have a great week, and play often. This podcast was brought to you by the Link Center for Healthy Play at Texas Christian University. To learn more about the Link Center and the resources mentioned in today's episode, visit our website at www.linkproject.tcu.edu.